0: Hey, if you would open your Bible with me to John chapter 14, and put a marker there in John 14, flip a few books to the right, and go to Galatians chapter 5, and put a marker there. We're going to be in both of those sections of Scripture this morning. So John 14, Galatians 5. If you're new this morning, we're so glad to have you with us. We believe that God is real, that He loves you, that He desires to meet you here this morning. And I really want to encourage you to come back next week. I'm so grateful for Pastor Rob, the impact he's had on my life. He's just an incredible Bible teacher, communicator, and he's going to be bringing the word next week as we continue on our Red Letter series. But this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 14. So John 14, Galatians 5, we're going to begin in John chapter 14. And if you're there, say, I'm there. All right. If you would stand with me in honor of God's word, and we are going to read a few verses here in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. Let's begin. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, everyone say helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning expectant, Lord, knowing that your presence is here and that you desire to meet us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that your word would now come alive to us and that you would speak directly to our hearts. I pray for those that need encouragement. I pray that they would be encouraged by your word. I pray for those that need correction, that they would be corrected by your word. I pray for those that need healing, that you would bring healing. And I pray for those that do, do not know you, Lord. I pray that this morning, that God, by your love, you would show yourself to them. And I pray that they would place their faith in you. God, I pray once again that you would take just an ordinary Sunday morning and that you would grace us with your presence to make it extraordinary. God, we give you this time. And in Jesus' name, your church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to continue our Red Letter series, and we're going to see part two of what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. And if you're here last week, Pastor Rob shared about Jesus's words concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of you came forward or stood up to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But today, as we move into part two, we're going to talk about how does this work? Like practically in everyday life, how does this work in our relationship with the person who is the Holy Spirit? How does this work in day-to-day life? So today we're going to see three or highlight three ways the Holy Spirit empowers us for day-to-day life. But before we begin, I want to ask you this question. How many of you like to go on walks? Like to go on walks. A lot of you, I now like to go on walks, but when I was a little, little boy, I hated to go on walks. It was like the worst thing ever. My mom would like to take us to the park or the nearby mission, and we would walk like a mile or two around. And I thought it was like the lamest thing to do as a little boy. I was like, if we're going to go outside, let me go ride my bike with my friends. Let's go to the beach and go surf or skateboard or anything, but just walk. I thought it was so boring. I'd be the little dude that would be running ahead of my mom and and I would be running in front of her. I'd be veering off the the path and I'd be exploring in the bushes and trying to find out the creek that's next by or whatever. I hated just to like be by her side and go on the walk. And you know, it's so funny is now I'm a parent and I've got two kids and my daughter's two and a half years old and she does not like to walk by my side. We go on, we go out and about, we're cruising around and she just does not, she's not content with holding my hand and walking by my side. She wants to veer off course. She wants to go by herself. I got to yell and race after her to make sure she doesn't run into the streets. This is just what kids do, right? But as an adult, I am so thankful and encouraged by the scriptures, by God's word, that as we're walking through this journey called life, We've been given a helper, the Holy Spirit, who's been called to our side. And so today we're going to see three ways the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk through this crazy thing called life. Number one, he has given us his presence. Number two, he's given us his patience. And number three, he's given us his Peace. Read with me again there in verse 25, Jesus speaking, John 14:25. He says to the disciples, "These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you." Here, we read this portion of scripture last week. The setting, once again, this was the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed. He's speaking with his disciples, this long kind of discussion over dinner before he's going to be crucified. He's teaching them about the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them that he's going to be leaving them. And the disciples at the time, they they don't really understand what he's saying, but he makes it very clear that he's going to be leaving. And as he continues the discussion in John chapter 16, verse 7, he gives further clarity. He tells the disciples, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage or your benefit that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's making it very clear to the disciples that he will be leaving them. But this is a good thing. It's to their benefit or advantage because upon him leaving, he will send the Holy Spirit to come. And I want you to consider this for a moment. That God's mission has always been to be with his people. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, if you remember the creation account, when God created humanity, we read there that Adam walked with God. He was experiencing communion, relationship with God. He was walking with God. God was with his creation. But then we know the story well. Sin disrupted this communion, this relationship. And when sin entered into the picture, man could no longer experience the way of his glory and presence. And so God sent them out of the Garden of Eden in really an act of grace. But from that point on, God was determined to be with his people. So in the book of Genesis, we read that God appears in the form of a man to several different characters, and he's showing himself to them. He's being with them. Then we see Moses comes along, and Moses is there upon Mount Sinai, and God appears to him through a burning bush. And there, as, as God is speaking and spending time there with with Moses... He gives him instructions to go and build a tabernacle. And as Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, if you remember the story, God's presence by a pillar of fire and a cloud by night is leading the Israelites throughout the wilderness until they set up this tabernacle. And this tabernacle would be a meeting place in which mankind would be able to come and meet with God and to worship God. And that tabernacle would turn into a temple. And in the tabernacle and in the temple, the very presence of God would come and rest within the room called the Holy of Holies. And it was God's way of being with the camp, being with his people. He wanted to be with them. But man, the system, the tabernacle, the temple, it was just a foreshadowing of what was to come. Eventually, the glory of the Lord would leave the temple. And God was so determined to be with his people that he left heaven and came on a rescue mission. And he was born Emmanuel, God with us. He put on human skin and he dwelt among us here on this earth, teaching and preaching and doing miracles and eventually going to the cross where he would die for the sin of the world. And as Jesus was there at the cross, as he gave up his spirits, we read that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom symbolizing that we now have access to the very presence of God. And we know the story. After he was crucified, he was buried and he rose again from the grave. He ascended up into heaven. And then 10 days later, he sent his spirit to come down upon the church. Acts chapter 2. We read about this last week. But I want you to understand this, that God has always desired to be with his people. In fact, Paul would comment on this and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He is now with us. He is now in us. And that is why Jesus was able to tell the disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is with us always. His presence is living in us. Now, why is this so important? Because what it means for us is that you are not alone. You're not alone. As you're going through this journey called life, God has saved us from our sin. And we know that heaven is waiting for us. And we've got to go through this crazy thing called life. You have to understand that on this journey called life, you are not alone. Now, this is important because we are living in what many have called a loneliness epidemic. People are experiencing loneliness in all time highs. In 2019, a report showed that 79% of 18 to 22 year olds reported being lonely. 79%. But this isn't just Gen Z. This is all generations. Reports show that now within our country, that one-person households are increasing. It's now up to 28% that people live by themselves and are experiencing loneliness. But we know you don't have to be by yourself to experience loneliness. We can be here in this room, surrounded by people in an incredible family, and still experience loneliness. The Holy Spirit in us, He has given us his presence to empower us in everyday life. You are not alone. He is with us. We have now become his temple. He dwells in us. Now, the Holy Spirit in us, his presence, this is the cure for loneliness. But it's not just the cure for the lonely life. The Holy Spirit in us, his presence, is also to give us a victorious life. As we're going through this journey called life that's going to be full of highs and lows and difficult times, trials and tribulations, persecution, the Bible is very clear about it. This road is not going to be easy, but his presence has been given to us for us to experience victory. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His spirit has been given to us so that we would experience victory over sin, over ourself, over the temptations of this world, God hasn't just left us to fend for ourself in this crazy thing called life. No, he's given us his Holy Spirit and his presence to live within us so that we would experience victory in this life. And that victory is only found in him. Which brings me to point number two. We see that God has also, the Holy Spirit has given us his patience to empower us for everyday life. Check out verse 26. We'll read again. Jesus speaking says, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper. This word helper in the Greek is parakletos. It means to be called to one side. And here it can be translated from helper to comforter to consoler to advocate. And it draws this picture as we're going through this thing called life. Not only is the Holy Spirit in us, But he's beside us. And in his patience, he guides us and he grows us. In his patience, he guides us and he grows us. One of the ways he guides us is by his truth. He guides us by his truth. Jesus would go on and say in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. And what do you agree what our world right now needs is some truth? Amen. I mean, it seems as we're going through this journey called life, there's all these different voices just screaming for our attention, trying to tell us how to think, how to respond, how to act. But the Spirit has given us truth. He desires to guide us by truth. Now, this truth isn't my truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth. It's God's word. He, the Spirit, will speak to us by his word. He will teach us all things by his word. He'll teach us what it says. He will give us understanding to his word. And he will bring to remembrance, as we're going through this thing called life, his word to be a guide for us. He guides us by his truth, but he also guides us by new desires. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Here we have Paul's commenting. He's commenting on walking by the Spirit. What does this look like? What does this mean? How does this work? And he says this in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. If you would read along with me. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, the law. Here, Paul says another way that the Holy Spirit's in his patience, he guides us by these new desires. And he tells us that there's two desires fighting for our attention, fighting for control as we're going through life. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Now, the desires of the flesh, the flesh means these self cravings. It is sin that dwells within us. We know that because of the cross of Christ, we've been forgiven of our sin, but we also recognize we still struggle with sin. Amen? Each and every day, sin is trying to take control of us. The Bible refers to it as the old man coming back, trying to direct us and control us. And these are self-cravings. Paul will go on to list out, beginning in verse 19, some of these acts of the flesh. And he says that the desires of the flesh war against the desires of the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are new desires that the Spirit gives it to us as he lives within us. He gives us a new heart with new desires to obey and to honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus. And these new desires, the desires of the Spirit, will always bring life And the desires of the flesh will always bring destruction. The desires of the flesh will always bring destruction. And the desires of the spirit will always bring life. By way of illustration, I'll share with you a memory of mine from a mission trip I took to uh, Indonesia. And in Indonesia, I was there for a mission trip, but it was also for a surfing trip, kind of. I kind of did a little bit of both on this trip. And I had a guy that was like my tour guide. And he, uh, everyone in Indonesia, they travel around on these little moped scooters. You guys know what I'm talking about? These like, these little scooters. They're not even motorcycles. They're like these little scooter mopeds. And they would have like five people on one of these things with like crates of chickens on them, like strapped to the back, all sorts of things. It was crazy. But I had this guy that he would drive the scooter, this, this little motorbike, and I would just be chilling on the back, just holding on, just waiting till we got to our destination. But there were times where I didn't want to wait for this tour guide of mine. And so I would try to take out the moped scooter thing. And I would try to go do it myself. Now, they're in Indonesia. They drive on the other side of the road. But here, I was at the island of Bali. And they're Hindu. And one of their beliefs is like every third quarter of a mile, they have to put a turn. Because they believe that if the road is straight, then demons can come down them. But if the road is turned, then demons can't go down them. I don't know. It's their thing, not our thing, right? So it made it really difficult to get to your destination because there would be all these curves in the road. And so here I am on the motorbike and I'm trying to get to the surf spot. I got to drive on the other side of the road. There's all these turns and I got lost over and over again. I had to stop and ask for help and ask for direction on how to get to the spot. And I even a couple times I crashed into other motorbikes and I I fell one time and it was difficult. It was confusing. But I believe there's a great point there, a great analogy or illustration of allowing the Spirit to guide us and to lead us. Because when the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives and He is guiding us and directing us, He is faithful to bring us to our destination. He's faithful to do so. But when we try to take control of ourselves and we try to get there, man, we are so prone to getting off track. We are so prone to falling over. We're so prone to crashing and burning. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, he is faithful to get us to our destination. And you know what that destination is when the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us? It's always Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. And when he is leading us and he is guiding us, he will always lead us to the person who is Jesus. And so he guides us by these desires and he does it patiently. As we're going through this journey of life and we struggle, and sometimes if we're honest, we do veer off course There's moments where where we give into sin. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And the point is, is we will fail. There will be moments where we're not allowing the spirit to lead us. We're giving into the self, but he is so patient and he is so faithful to bring us back on track. He is patient in guiding us through everyday life, but he is also patient in growing us. Man, this is so important. Check out there in verse 22. As Paul continues to talk about walking by the Spirit. In verse 22, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. As the Holy Spirit is guiding us, he is faithful to grow us. And this idea of fruit, I want to point out that it implies three things. Number one, fruit implies internal growth. It implies gradual growth. And it implies inevitable growth. What do I mean? If if we got a seed and we planted it in the soil, we'd have to put it in the ground. The seed starts out in the ground. And in the same way, when we come to Jesus and Jesus saves us from our sin and he puts the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit comes in us, then the begins with an internal growth. He begins to change us and transform us from the inside out. I love how the NLT phrases this verse here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. He says that the Holy Spirit produces this fruit. And so it's a work that God does in us and through us, but it starts in the inside. It's internal. And I think we forget this sometimes because, man, he's so patient to work in us for his goodwill and his good pleasure to give him glory. But oftentimes we can get so judgmental to other Christians. We can forget of how patient the Lord has been in us in this process of growing. And we can look at someone and say, man, why are they still talking like that? Why are they still hanging out with those people, even though they just came to the altar like last week? And we can say, why haven't they arrived there? Why haven't they become this place in their discipleship to Jesus? And we have to understand, we have to remember that the growth begins in the inside. It's internal, just as a seed is planted in the ground. God begins to grow us from the inside, and it works. he works his way out. But not only is it internal growth, there's gradual growth. Fruit implies gradual growth. If the seed is planted in the ground, the next day you don't get a tree bearing fruit, do we? No, it is measured over time. Growth is measured over time. And in the same way, God is so patient in growing us over time. This is what the Bible refers to as a process of sanctification. It's God setting us apart and saving us from present sin that we're struggling with. And it is a process. We can beat ourselves up. We be like, man, why do I still struggle with that habit? Why am I still struggling with that sin? Those thoughts or this thing that happened in the past, why is it showing up today? Notice that God is patient in the process. He doesn't expect us to become a fruit... Bearing tree overnight, he's patient. So too, we should be patient with others. There is gradual growth. It's measured over time, which brings us to number three. There's inevitable growth, though. If there's no growth, there's a problem. True faith produces true fruit. If we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord of our life and that his spirit dwells within us, then there will be fruit. Fruit is inevitable. And that fruit, what it will look like is love. And that love, that fruit of love is described in these different ways, peace and joy and gentleness and so on and so forth. But we have to understand that growth is inevitable, which means... If we're the same person we were a year ago, there's a problem. If we're the same person we were five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, there's a problem. God is faithful and He's patient in changing us and transforming us into the image of Jesus. This process of sanctification, growth is inevitable. It begins in the inside. It's gradual, but there will be growth. So if there is no growth, man, there's a problem. We must allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. Which brings me to number three. Going back to John chapter 14, there in verse 27, there's a beautiful promise. He's given us his presence to empower us for everyday life. We're not alone and his presence brings victory. He's given us his patience as we're on this journey called life. And sometimes we fall. He's faithful to pick us back up. He's faithful to guide us. He's faithful to grow us, but he's also given us his peace to empower us for everyday life. And man, do we need some peace right now? We need some peace. Check out verse 27. It's a beautiful promise. I pray that we just take this one to the bank. Jesus telling the disciples, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He gives us his peace. In fact, he is peace. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And as he is taking us and guiding us through this journey called life, as we are waiting for glory in heaven, there can be chaos and storms all around us. But he is faithful to keep the road in front of us with peace, clarity, tranquility, calmness. He is able to lead us in his peace. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. The quote will be up on the screen. He says, A sense of perfect peace with God is the grandest thing in all the world with which to travel through life. It's the greatest thing. To have a peace, knowing that God is faithful, that God is who he says he is, that he is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus. This is who he is. He has given us his peace. He is peace. And I love this quote by Tim Keller. He says, The peace of God is not the absence of fear. It is, in fact, his presence. Again, he does not only just give us peace. He is peace. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And as Jesus followers, there can be chaos all around us. But man, he is able to bring peace inside of us and to lead us and to guide us by this peace, to empower us by this peace, to respond in faith. And at this time, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Because we're gonna end by looking at the key. The key to experiencing the spirit-filled life The key to understanding or experiencing the empowerment of of the Holy Spirit in his presence and his patience and his peace, the key is surrender. In order for there to be spirit-filled life, we must be a surrendered-filled people. The Spirit-filled life is a surrendered-filled life. Pastor Rob quoted this last week. I'll quote it again. It's R.A. Torrey. He says, If we think of the Holy Spirit merely as a power or influence, our thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of Him as a divine person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get more of me? In other words, Surrender. The Bible says in multiple places, Paul says that the peace of God can rule in our hearts, but the idea of ruling is that we're surrendered under his ruling. So maybe there's, there's an area of your life today that, man, you, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but as you're going through life, man, it just seems difficult. There's struggle. Maybe there's an area of li- your life where there's destruction. I would encourage you, is there an area of your life you need to surrender? Maybe it's a relationship with a child who's become a prodigal. Maybe it's it's a relationship with a spouse. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. Maybe it's it's the future and the unease of what is to come. Maybe there's just something. What What is it that's bringing you chaos in your heart that you're just troubled by? I'd encourage you to surrender it this morning. It reminds me of a story in the Gospels. Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. And on that boat, Jesus is actually asleep. And, and we read that it was as the waves were crashing into the boat that it was then that the disciples cried out, teacher, don't you even care that we're perishing? There in the midst of the storm, Jesus, upon their cry, he responds by getting up and he says, peace, be still. And the waves and the winds, they cease. And maybe in your life right now, there's areas where it's just crashing and it seems chaotic. And the furthest thing you're experiencing is peace. Well, understand that we must cry out to the Lord in an act of surrender. God, you need to take control of this situation. And that's when peace comes in to the picture. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, listen, the only way to experience the peace of God is first to know the grace of God. And The grace of God is the reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were against God, God was for us. And at the cross, he purchased us by his blood so that we could experience life and life more abundant. The Bible says, apart from him, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But as we respond to Jesus, he will make us alive. He will raise us up in newness of life. He will give us his spirit. And man, he will give us a helper to help us get through this life, to lead us and to guide us. And so if you've never surrendered to Jesus today. If you've never received his grace, we're going to give you an opportunity to do so right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in a word of prayer? God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you've not left us by ourselves, but that you've given us the Holy Spirit, Lord, to get us through this crazy thing called life. And I pray, Lord, for, for someone here today that Lord, you have made it known to them, an area of their life they need to surrender. God, I pray that they would just trust it to you, that they would lay it at your feet. And I pray, Lord, for someone here that's either in person or watching online that has never responded to your grace, that has never received your love. God, I trust that you have made yourself known to them and that, Lord, you want to give them an opportunity to respond to your grace and so as heads are bowed and eyes are closed if that's you i want you to understand that the bible says that if we confess with our mouth jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead you will be saved this life is only found in jesus he is the way the truth and the life and all we have to do is respond saying god i want you I need you. I want to give you my life. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you and you're here in person or you're watching online, I just want to lead you through this prayer. Listen, God will hear your silent prayer. This prayer is just a prayer of of confession saying, God, that's me, I need you. If that's you, just pray along with me. In the privacy of your own heart, say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you are alive today. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. And as your people, Lord, we pray once again, Lord, that you would, would give us victory in this life, that we would experience a spirit-filled, victorious Christian life, that we would be a people that is bearing much fruit, Lord, a loving people, and a people that is surrendering ourself, our desires for what you want, Lord, God, I pray that you would do and continue to do incredible work in us and through us. And in Jesus' name, your people said, amen.